0: I'm thrilled today to be joined by Peter Chang, Senior Vice President and Chief Transformation Officer at Tampa General Hospital. Peter, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thanks so much. Good morning, Laura.
0: Now, you know, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare and some really exciting things you're doing at Tampa General, always on the forefront of innovation, it seems. But before we dive into that question, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself briefly and tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure, thanks. So uh, I've been in hospital administration for about 10 years, uh, and if you'd asked me 11 years ago if I ever thought I'd be a hospital administrator, I would have laughed. But I'm an internal medicine physician, hospitalist by training, and uh, transitioned from the bedside straight into the chief medical informatics officer job here at TGH. Uh, May will be 10 years. Uh, Since then, I've had five different titles reporting to five different executives, including our CEO. Um, and doing really interesting jobs such as uh, creating our clinical command center, CARECOM, all the way to operating case management and now designing, engineering, and implementing our hospital at home program.
0: Well, that's fascinating to hear. And, you know, really thinking about all those different ways that you've been able to experience the healthcare system, both as a clinician and now as a hospital administrator and di- designing programs that really impact patients far and wide. What are you seeing as some of the big issues in healthcare today? What has really come top of mind for you when you think about where healthcare is headed?
1: Sure. The, the first two things uh, that pop into the top of my mind are cost and quality. I mean, right now we're on a trajectory to reach about 20% of our gross domestic product is going to be spent on healthcare, And we're really in a a non-sustainable track if that continues to increase at the rate it's been. So costs continue to escalate, but yet our quality has not improved drastically. If you look at us amongst other developed nations, we're probably, depending on the year, anywhere between 10th and 12th in overall quality. Things like life expectancy, um, if moms deliver, do they still survive, uh, infant mortality and those basic metrics that we should be improving on seeing as much money as we're spending uh, we're really not seeing those benefits so it, it's it's sort of an opposite equation of escalating costs and sort of mediocre if not declining quality in many areas
0: absolutely that's you know certainly a fascinating challenge and issue in you know when you look at Um, Those types of trends, uh, as somebody that's intimately involved in the healthcare system, what can you do? What really are are the ways that you're tackling that? And how do you see um, some of these challenges continuing to manifest and grow and ideally in the future, um, you know, turning around some of those statistics?
1: So it's kind of an interesting evolution. As I've learned a little bit more from working in the healthcare space day in and day out, both as an administrator and as a clinician, I, I kind of use our clinical command center as the the perfect example of this. You know, starting this journey that we created our command center about five years ago, um, seeing that we've ringed out probably close to fifty million dollars of excess costs out of our health system over that time period, it's it's such an amazing achievement. But as I started to wake up every morning come into the command center, operate. I I noticed that I was just making an inefficient system slightly more efficient. And I think it goes to the point of, we really need to redesign how we deliver care uh, and how patients receive care. Um, You know, primarily medicine is thought of as uh, a, a patient is lucky to be able to see a physician, but really, I think it's the other way around. As healthcare providers, we are lucky and blessed to have the amazing patients come and seek out our services. And so in doing that, it's really shifting our focus from we need to operate a hospital or a better health system to really figure out how do we coordinate care around our patients Uh, We can create the best hospital system in the world, but if patients aren't engaged and aren't kind of doing the things that we're advising them to do and partners in their health, then we really haven't done anything. So we're really doubling down around redesigning care around home. Uh, So we were lucky enough to be able to create our hospital at home program. We've been up and running for over a year and a half now and really seen some amazing results. Uh, I think with any of these types of programs, uh, scale is going to be our biggest challenge. So although we've had readmission rates that are probably a, a fifth of what they are for a traditional Medicare patient, so our readmission rate is probably anywhere between 3 and 4% compared to an average on our inpatient units of around anywhere between 16 and 20%, depending on the time of year. Um, patient experience is off the charts um, so you look at readmission reduction you look at better patient experience, uh, improved clinical outcomes then you kind of say well how do we get this to scale uh, And that's really our challenge when we start looking across the healthcare spectrum whether it be care at home, uh, better preventative care it's really about those two key themes of patient engagement and being able to scale on our side and you know from our journey so far we've really looked at, you know, the three, I call them the big three, which are process, people, and technology. Um, you have to have the right processes. You have to have great people that um, are able to differentiate when a patient or a situation doesn't follow a particular process. And then you have to have the technology to be able to scale those things. Um, I kind of go back to the 80-20 rule, which is um, 80% of patients or processes read the textbook, meaning they're going to they're gonna follow along that pathway perfectly. And then uh, 20%, there's going to be some level of measured variability that we have to be able to contain. And that's really why healthcare will always be a personal business, no matter what technologies come out, because at the end of the day, it comes down to one human being interacting with another that's providing care.
0: That's such a great point, you know, and I really appreciate you talking through the strategy behind your hospital home program and then really the thought process on coordinating care more around patients. I, I think it's such an interesting point you made in terms of switching the thought process to really feeling like, you know, as a healthcare system, you're privileged and blessed to have patients coming to you and really seeking care from um, from your organization. So I, I really think that is so interesting and neat and unique. From your perspective, you know when you look at the next year, obviously the hospital home program is um, still growing and evolving. What are you most excited about, and what makes you nervous?
1: Um, you know, I think the the exciting piece is is redesigning care, and you know we classically, as I was talking about before. Uh, you know, patients have to redesign, their re reconfigure their entire lives to come see us. Now we're flipping the script and actually re reorganizing how we plan our days based around the needs of our patients, uh, which is an interesting concept versus the needs of maybe our clinic or our hospital system. Um, as we plan out our day on our routes, we look at which patients maybe need a medicine earlier or need care sooner. Uh, because they're a little bit higher acuity. uh, And we're sort of planning our day around them, which is sort of an interesting concept. And then we're completely changing the battlefield of medicine as we uh, are no longer on our home turf. We're actually going into a patient's home, providing care uh, at a hospital inpatient level. Uh, so these are not sort of, you know, ambulatory patients or observation patients. These are some, some sick folks. In fact, one of the patients that we have on service right now is uh, post-op day five from a liver transplant. Uh, and so I never thought in a million years we'd be able to get a patient out of the hospital sooner um, to home and provide such high-level care that would have normally been needed to, to be in a hospital. For, the, for that instance. And so as we start to look at the at-home model, it's really differentiating and diversifying what we can do within the walls of the home. Of course, keeping safety as the number one priority. Uh, so doing things like uh, urgent care at home, of course, primary care at home, subacute rehab at home, uh, infusion at home. There's so many different options that we can offer to our patients. We just, again, have to figure out how to scale it. But those are the things that I'm excited about. And I think technology is going to have a huge role in that. And I'm going to say the buzzword, but artificial intelligence, we view as such a valuable key in helping us prioritize our work. Um, AI is going to help with the 80%. We're always going to need people to deal with the other 20, as I spoke of earlier. And I always say one of my taglines is I don't want AI to make a diagnosis, but I want AI to present the pertinent information. So a well-trained, licensed practitioner, physician, nurse, physical therapist can make a diagnosis or um, enact the therapy or treatment that's correct for that patient. And so, you know, with that, AI comes with a lot of fears, um, which is the latter part of your question. But I think if you govern it from the perspective of really putting the technology into the hands of the folks that need to make the decisions. Uh, then then we've won. And so governance is going to be a key component to that as we start to look at how do we govern the different processes around what AI is coming in? More importantly, what information uh, from a security and a privacy perspective is going out, um, which that should be none. It should all be internal and contained within your system then I think we can get to that point. I think you know the fear with AI comes maybe, I don't know, maybe five, 10 years from now when, um, okay, if I am looking at this type of patient and AI can tell me that you should look at these things, presents that information to me, and then I make a decision, I think that's really when you start to train models. And that's the part that has us a little fearful. And then if the AI model knows where I looked and what I looked at to make a certain determination, then you could potentially train that model using that. Um, and eventually that model could be able to train itself, which is, I think, the, where, where the fear lies. But we are so far away from those states that I think AI has so many amazing, wonderful applications inside of medicine. And a lot of them are actually not even on the care side. It's sort of the administrivia, as our CIO says, uh, associated with healthcare on backend revenue cycle management, um, figuring out better ways to, to do patient engagement, um, set benchmarks and have anyone that's falling outside of that benchmark, alert a team. And that's, you know, some of the things that we're doing in regards to like remote patient monitoring et cetera, so we can get to scale.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in your role um, as a chief transformation officer, I can imagine looking at both of these things that you talked about um, from the care redesign perspective, as well as AI, um, obviously exciting, a lot of change happening and a little trepidation from um, trying to really help um, the team understand, you know, the direction that you're going Alleviate fears, but then to you know get people to um, jump on board with the transformation and make changes in their daily routines or their expectations. Um, how hard or easy has that been? Both when you're looking at you know redesigning the care and you know planned routes for the day and that kind of thing, as well as incorporating AI into the larger healthcare delivery process.
1: You know, it's a really great question. As we as we stand, kind of on the precipice of some really amazing things in 2024. We have such excitement and energy around AI. In fact, that's one of the reasons to set up our governance structures because so many different applications, ideas, products are coming into us from all different directions, That and which is a good thing, right? We, we have a lot of people excited about what the potential is. Uh, inside of medicine and AI. And and to do that, we have to set up the appropriate governance structure. So some of the things we look at are, you know, do we have uh, a technology that already does this? Because that's usually the case inside of an innovative health system. And if not, you know, what are the benefits versus the risk of bringing in this technology? And that's really a multidisciplinary approach from everyone from finance to information technology to hospital administration to the clinical side. Uh, and operational side coming together and saying you know these are our guardrails on what we are going to allow in and this is the channel that everything has to come through because ultimately anything that has to do with AI ultimately goes through the IT department for whether it's it needs information to feed the model or it needs integration into our EMR and so those are kind of how we set up some of the guardrails on sort of tempering things as we go along um, to your point on the on the second question which is really around the change management piece, Uh, you know, the the two industries that are lagging behind in change management are medicine, healthcare, uh, and then education. And they're very closely related. And and the reason why they they are lagging is because the last mile is a a person. Uh, You know, I always tell the story, I could have uh, a, a diabetic registry and I could pull two patients out that are almost identical clinically. But my methods and approaches to how I guide that patient through their care journey to manage their diabetes could be completely different between those two, quote, unquote, identical clinical patients. And the same goes for a student sitting in a classroom. Um, you know, you may have students with very similar aptitudes, but completely different ways of learning. And, you know, everyone wants to apply uh, methodologies of change management and and lean Process improvement, and while I think a lot of those principles can be applied in healthcare, um, there is a part that can't. Um, yeah, I was jokingly say with Lean as you as as, as that came out of um, you know the Toyota manufacturing and processes and systems. If you told Toyota that um, okay, this line makes trucks, now I want it to make motorcycles, and that has to be done like right now, uh, they can't do it. And that's essentially what we're doing with every single patient. They're a different model. They're uh, somebody that's different and new. And so, kind of goes back to my original question on, on scale. But, you know, change management, I think, in healthcare is, is a very interesting concept as we go because we are very resistant and hard headed when it comes to adopting new things. But luckily, at least within our own health system, we've seen nothing but really enthusiasm about the potential. Um, When we actually have to change, let's see how it goes.
0: That makes sense. And, you know, definitely um, is really interesting perspective and great to hear kind of how, you know, you're approaching that and really being able to be flexible within, like you said, you know, every patient is a little bit different. And so trying to scale from there is always, you know, more complex than it seems. Um, I'm wondering, before we wrap up here, from your perspective, when you look at, healthcare leadership, um, what do you see healthcare leaders needing to be effective over the next few years? We've talked a lot about how healthcare is transforming and changing in some of the different ways that um, more capabilities are opening up and in different preferences from patients and those kinds of things. What will leaders need in order to be successful?
1: I think the first thing is really awareness Um. You know, you can gain so much by just uh, sitting inside of your health system in a particular area or department and just don't say anything. Don't go with any preconceived notions and just being aware of what's happening uh, to your team, to your patients. I think there goes a lot, a lot to be said about how you witness what's happening in your health system and how you can be equipped to, to make drastic improvements for, again, the, the team and the patients. Um, I think uh, a growth mindset is the second thing uh, as we are continue to grow and change, you know, having that ability to say, you know, we're never going to be good enough. We're always have areas to improve. And to me, that's part of that growth mindset. Um, no, no one is ever perfect. No process is ever perfect. And that idea of continuous improvement um, is something that's drastically needed in, in healthcare. Cause we tend to, you know, design something, put it out and say, okay, great, it's working um, without necessarily revisiting frequently on how we can continually make that process better for patients. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the ultimate stakeholder is, is the patient and how they do and how they perceive. I would challenge everyone that's listening to this podcast to look at your own healthcare experience for either yourself or your family and ask yourself, is it easy? Um, And right now, I would say, even for me, that's well-equipped from a medical and an operational perspective to take care of myself and my family, I would say it's still really hard. And we have to challenge ourselves to make care easier for our patients.
0: That's amazing to hear and, and really sums things up really well. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Always a pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for having me today.